Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. We worship you just because. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God. You're worthy, oh God. Amen. Before we, um, before we jump into the word uh, this, this afternoon or late morning, um, just want to let you guys know, obviously you guys heard that the Sister Vet is home uh, and doing well. But just, just in case you're looking for Pastor E, he will not be back until the first week in January. Uh, we kicked him out so that he can go spend time with his family. Amen. Just so, just so you're aware of why he's not in the pulpit, we said it. Your first ministry is at home, and so you don't need the, you don't need to be worrying about what you got to preach next week. Um, you need to be serving your family. So you know he's 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 there. He's of course he hates not being here, but. Um, and this season he needs to be home. Um, so he'll be, he'll be back with us that first week of January once we come back after the holidays. Um, but um, in the time being, um, we'll be filling in preaching on, on Sundays. So um, also just want to make a quick note too, um, not necessarily a, a big deal per se, but how many, how many of y'all were at the marriage gala on Friday night? See a few of y'all in here. Great time. We had a we had a phenomenal a phenomenal time. Um, I mentioned this in the first gathering. One of the things that encouraged my heart the most about the marriage gala was how many non-married people were excited and encouraging toward the married couples for desiring to see them enjoy that evening. And so I don't know if y'all know this, but in the church a lot of times, not this church per se, but in a, even in this church sometimes, but. But in the church in general, a lot of times there's a lot of bickering and complaining from the older generations to younger generations, the unmarried versus the, the, the married. And, and, and so it's good to see people rejoicing and excited for something that doesn't involve them. You know what I mean? Does that encourage anybody else's heart? We, we, we need to have more of that. And so the Bible talks about weeping with those who weep and having joy with those who have joy. Uh, and so learning how to have joy and celebrate and encourage uh, what's happening in the lives of others, even if it's not happening to you. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand together? Why don't you join me in Isaiah chapter 9 as we enter into our Advent series, Here He Comes. Isaiah chapter 9. If you're there, say amen. If you're not there, say hold on. All right, just a few hold ons. Amen. 
Amen. Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to read verses 1 through 6, and we're going to park uh, in verse uh, 6, primarily, or focus in on verse, verse 6, primarily. Let me read it for, um, for our hearing this morning. This is the word of the Lord, Isaiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land of the east of the Jordan and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. And the people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils, for you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Father, we are thankful for this promised one, the one on whom the government's shoulders will rest, the one in whom you say his dominion will be so vast, prosperity never ending. He will reign on the throne of David with justice and righteousness forever, and we can trust in him. Thank you for the hope that you give in your word in the midst of darkness. Thank you for giving us something to cling to so that we can hold on to you as we wait for you to come. Father, we pray that your word would encourage us this morning. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, Jesus, the eternal president. Jesus, the eternal President, how many of y'all are morning people? Man, that's less than a quarter of the room. My goodness. If you're, if you're a morning person, especially this time of year, when you get up in the morning, it's still dark outside. Some of y'all have no clue what I'm talking about. And, and, you know, after, after being asleep all night, you wake up in the morning, one of the things that you quickly realize is that the longer you spend in the dark, the better your eyes adjust to being in the dark. And so the things that you could do in the daytime, you can do in the dark if you've been in the dark long enough. Now, the most ignorant people in the world are the type of people who cut the lights on without giving you no warning. <laughs> Somebody know what I'm talking about. There's nothing worse than you're having your eyes been adjusted to the dark and then the light comes. And because you've spent so much time in the dark, your eyes hurt seeing the light. But it takes you staying in the light for your eyes to adjust back to the light even more. 
we kind of find ourselves in a situation here as we read through this passage where the people of Judah have been in the dark so long, so accustomed to the dark, that they have found themselves falling and shifting further and further away from God. And it's necessary to understand the background of this passage, the context of this passage, so we can understand truly the thrust of what Isaiah is communicating from God to the people. Right? At this point in time, there is a king named Ahaz, uh, who is the king of Judah, and he took over the throne when he was 20 years old. And the Bible does a good job letting us know early on what kind of king is about, they're about to tell us about, because they use uh, a certain language. They'll say, so-and-so was king, and he followed after his father David, which meant he was a righteous king. And if he was an unrighteous king, they would say, and so-and-so was king, and they did not follow after the ways of his father David and did things that did not please the Lord. And so we find out very early on in 2 Chronicles chapter 28 that Ahaz was one of those kings who came in and just completely rejected God's ways. It says that, that he did things like burned incense in the valleys like the pagans did, and he set up altars all over the place and on high hills and, and under every green tree. It said he even sacrificed his children like the pagans did, making them pass through the fire. And so the Bible says that, that God humbled him, the king of Judah, and the way that he humbled him was by allowing Judah's enemies to conquer them. Now the crazy thing about this is that before God allowed them to be conquered and, and plundered and, and pillaged, is that God, even in the midst of all of Ahaz, Ahaz's sin, was still with him. Can you imagine that? So rejecting God, trying to act as if your life is your own, divorcing God from every single thing that you do, and he still don't give up on you? He told Ahaz, he said, listen, Ahaz, I know your enemies are coming up against you. I know you're scared. You look like you're about to make some dumb decisions. Relax. He literally tells him, he says, relax. Isaiah, go tell him I said to chill. I got you. I'm, going not, I'm not going to let them do nothing to you. So Isaiah goes and communicates that to Ahaz, and Ahaz is like, nah, man, I know God said that, but my enemies are too close. I can feel them. It's no way God is not going to let them come and conquer. And so what did Ahaz do? Ahaz continued to offer, sac uh, offer idols and sacrifices to idols uh, and, and further move God's people further and further away from uh, his heart. And so God said, so the Bible says that, that God handed him over to Aram and to uh, Israel. And Aram and Israel were working together and they said, you know what, let's conquer Ahaz, let's conquer Judah, we're gonna replace them and put a new king in there. And so of course they did, they began to come in, they killed 120,000 people from Judah in one day, plundered the village or, or the countryside, took people captive and all of that. And if that wasn't bad enough, then they had Edom on the other side and the Philistines on the other side coming in and rioting and looting and killing people and taking them captive. This is just Judah by themselves experiencing four different enemies, one on each side, plundering them all at the same time. Can you imagine being a part of that? Regularly living in your house, having to wake up wondering who's gonna come kick down your door and snatch your young ones away. Wondering whether or not you're gonna come out your door and somebody's gonna be standing there waiting to kill you. Each and every day, enemies on every side. And so you know what Ahaz does? He doesn't go to God. 
He goes to the king of Assyria. And he says, I got some problems and you're a strong king with a strong army. Can you help me? And guess what the king of Assyria does? He starts to take tribute from him. He says, well, if you're weak enough that you need my help and you have enemies on every side, I'm just going to take advantage of this and I'm just going to get money from you. I'm not going to defend you, but I am going to take your money from you to make you think I'm going to defend you. Can you imagine? Have you ever been there where it seems like life is just keeps throwing blow after blow? Blow after blow, thing after thing. It's just a, a constant cycle of the car breaks down and the money that you were saving for something else you had to use. And then after you had to use that money, you lost your job through no fault of your own. Then somebody that you let borrow money didn't pay the money back and now you got to use your credit card and you're just racking up debt. Not only that, but you having conflict with friends. Friends that you thought were good friends, but they done stabbed you in the back and talked bad about you, gossiped on your name. And if that wasn't bad enough, now you got sick. And it's just like, Lord, why? What's happening? On every side, every enemy and the people that I go to for help, not only do they not help, but they do more harm. God, what are you doing? I can't take it no more. Now you would imagine being there and going to God and begging God, being on your knees, difficulty usually drives us before God. Because usually when we experience good times, that's when we move ourselves from God. Because it's like, well, everything's chilling, we good. I don't got to pray as much. I don't got to read my Bible as much because God's blessing me. And usually it's difficulty that drives us before the face of God. Not for Ahaz, though. The Bible says that, man, well, the gods of these other foreign people help them to defeat me. So maybe I should go worship their gods. And so they, what, what Ahaz did was he said, you know what, difficulty, I'm not going to let difficulty drive me closer to God. I'm going to let difficulty drive me further from him. I know it's quiet in here, but maybe some of us get to the place where we're so frustrated with God allowing things to happen to our lives, in our lives, that we don't allow our difficulty to, to, to drive us to his word or drive us deeper to prayer, but we allow difficulty to drive us to divorcing God from everything going in our lives and justifying while out in the street because we think that God's not with us. And so Ahaz turns to all types of idolatry and God allows them to be conquered. And he says, Ahaz, even though you tripping right now, even though you have put yourself in a difficult place because of self-inflicted wounds, because you've lacked good decision-making, because you've rejected my word and my promises, because you've led the people astray in their hearts from worshiping you. Even though you've done all that, that stuff, I'm still going to give you a promise. And so he's, he says, listen, Ahaz, one day a virgin is going to give birth. And she's going to name him Emmanuel, which means God's with us. And it's going to be a promise for you that even though it's dark right now, I'm going to still bless this kingdom. Now, Ahaz hears that and says, nah, I'm good. Can you imagine that? God promising to be with you and you reject him. You reject him and God says, even though you rejected me and I'm going to let this stuff come on your life, I'm still going to give you hope in the midst of darkness. And you say, nah, I'm good anyway. And so the Bible says, this is what the people of Judah had to deal with with their king Ahaz. And it got so bad 
The people were so pillaged. So many people had lost their lives and lost their homes. And there was so much tragedy in Judah. There was so much brokenness in the, in the buildings. There was abandonment in families. There was so much that the Bible says the people were left wandering around in the streets hungry, angry at God and angry at their king. They had rejected God and then cursed him because of the consequences. Imagine, imagine being there where it almost feels like the sun doesn't even come out anymore, where the situation is so bad that there's only darkness, not even gloom in your spirit, but it just feels like the days just don't get as light anymore. That type of gloom. And in the midst of all that, Isaiah sends, or God sends Isaiah back to the people of Judah and says, listen, I know they can't see the light right now. I know the gloom and the darkness is so heavy on their lives, and a lot of it is their fault. I know they don't see any way of escape, and they feel like everybody's against them, and they feel like I'm against them. But in the middle of this darkness, in the middle of their despair, in the middle of their depression, in the middle of their questions, in the middle of their frustrations, in the middle of their unanswered uh, uh, assumptions about my character, I'm going to give them a sign that I'm coming and that I'm with them. Look what it says in verse one, it says, it says, nevertheless the gloom of, the, of this distressed land will not be like four more times. Then it says, the people that were walking in darkness have seen a great light. And it dawned on the whole nation, those who were living in the land of darkness. And then he says, you, have enlarged the nation and increased its joy and the people have rejoiced before you. Isaiah was communicating that when this time comes, the people will have clarity on who they are rejoicing to. It's not because of anything that they did. They will absolutely know the salvation will be so great and so deep and so unfathomable, but they would have absolutely no choice but to know it was from God. Then he says, he says for, for you, for you, God, have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders. You have saved them from their enemies and you've saved them from the staff of their oppressor. And every trampling boot of battle and bloodied garments of war will be burned in the fire. Basically saying when God comes and saves the day, there will be absolutely no evidence that you guys were even disheveled. And, and there will be no evidence of the fact that you were hungry. There will be no evidence of the fact that you were in poverty and that you were poor in spirit. There, God's saving grace will be so great that nobody will even be able to know that you had a broken past. But how will God do this? Things are so bad right now. They're so dark right now. I don't see a way that God, even God can save me. So how will God do this? Will God use power to defeat power? Will God use arrogance to defeat arrogance? Or war to overcome war? Surely God is strong enough. The God of heaven, the God of eternity who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Surely God is all, all, all strong enough to defeat his enemies in an instant. But God doesn't use any of those things. Guess what he uses? A child. He says, he says that the answer for your victory is in a child. If I can leave you with one point that I want you to take home with you and make sure you remember is this. Simply, God is strong enough to overcome his enemies by becoming vulnerable, transparent, and humble.
I, I don't think y'all heard me this morning because the first service was shouting. God is strong enough to overcome his enemies by becoming vulnerable, transparent, and humble. Who would have thought that the way that you win is by becoming weak? Who would have thought that the way that you overcome is, be, is by becoming humble? See, the world teaches us that in order to get ahead, you got you to gotta overcome people by force. That, you, that, that, that in order to get ahead in life, that you got to manipulate the situations and you got to use coercion and you got to use arrogance and you got to have the type of overpowering demeanor that makes people feel bad about themselves just to exalt yourself. But here, the word of God is saying the only way that you experience victory is through weakness. He says that's, that, that's the reason Jesus tells us to die to ourselves daily. Because he says, he says, the only way for you to experience life is through death. That's why the writer of Hebrews says that, that we have to lay aside every weight of sin and encumbrance that ensnares us because the only way for you to experience victory is to put some stuff down. See, the problem is we're too busy, busy holding on to things that are perceived strengths because we don't trust in God's strength through our weakness. And so these people are, they're looking disheveled, hurting, broken, and they're wandering around, angry at God and angry at one another. Like, what is God going to do? And Isaiah says, listen, you, God's not going to come the way you think he's going to come. See, you waiting over here on God, angry because he's not showing up, and all you got to do is turn around and see that he came through the back door not the way that you expected. You standing over here all frustrated, waiting on God. God, why are you not showing up? God, why you don't care about me? God, why do you don't love me? And God been standing there the whole time waiting for you to turn around. He says, who, who is this child that's going to come? A child that's going to save the kingdom? A child is going to redeem our souls? Who is this child? I'm glad you asked. He's, he says in verse 6, he says, a child will born, be born to us, a son will be given, and, and the government will be on his shoulders. The rule and reign and all authority will be on his shoulders. Could you imagine a government that is perfect in its laws, perfect in its decrees, that rules with perfect righteousness and justice? Could you imagine that? Yeah. A government that... That, that doesn't show bias? A government that doesn't show preference to the rich? Can you imagine a type of government like this? And yet Isaiah says that the perfect government that will come and be established forever is going to come by a child. He said, think of, think of the most handsome, the, most, the strongest, the most charismatic man that you could think of to lead you. And guess what? That's not who I'm going to use. child he says what, what is this child like he says for he will be named this, this these are the the titles that that are given to him that i clearly identify the type of character that he's going to have the type of personhood that he's going to have he says he will be named wonderful counselor 
That, 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 that means that the coming one would give wonderful counsel, unlike, unlike the, the reigning king Ahaz, who makes poor decision after poor decision after poor decision. Here he's identifying a child king who will come and will have perfect wisdom. What's wisdom? Wisdom is the application of truth. And so this king will be able to apply the truth perfectly in every way, shape, or form. Isn't it a beautiful thing to have a God who doesn't make mistakes when he leads you somewhere? See, see the, the, the problem with many of us is we don't actually think that God has good in store for our lives, number one. And number two, we think God doesn't really know how to lead us. Because what we tell God is, God, I see what you're doing, but I know me better than you know me. And so even though you want me to go that way, I feel like this way will be a little bit better because the last time I went this way, it worked out. Or at least I thought it did. And so we tell God, God, I know that you have perfect wisdom, but my wisdom is still better. He says, no, this, this type of counselor is the type of counselor that rules and doesn't make any type of mistake in his decision making. So exactly where you are today, God know you're going to be there. And guess what? You're not there by accident. I, I, see, I, I like that because it reminds me of what he did with Israel as they were, as they had been freed from slavery and they're walking through the wilderness. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 13 that God did not take them the short route, but God took them the long route. Now, why did God take them the long route and not the short route? He took them the long route and not the short route because he said, if I take them the short route, they're going to see some things that make them so discouraged that they're going to run back to slavery and bondage. See, the reason that you are where you are right now is because the short route that you wanted to take was going to have you experience some things that would have took you right back to bondage. See, you think the long route is hard. You think the long route is difficult. You think the long route is bad. But God says, my way Wisdom knows what you need, when you need it, and the best way for you to get to where I want you to get to. Stop trusting in your own wisdom. He says, this, this, this right here is the king who will be the wise counselor, the wonderful counselor. He says that this, he has the type of wisdom that knows that there is, that, that, that weakness is greater than strength, that, that there is surrender in victory, that there is death in life. He doesn't stop there. He says, not only is he a wonderful counselor, he says, but he's a, a mighty God. El Gabor, a mighty God. That This king will have God's true might about him. Power so great that it can absorb all the evil which can be hurled at it until there is none left to hurl. He says, this, this God is so mighty in power that, the, that when he wills to do something, there is none that can stay his hand. See, the problem is that we think the enemy makes God respond and react to things. And God is never caught off guard by the enemy. The enemy only has the type of power that God allows him to have. Imagine serving a God that is so great and awesome in power that whatever he wants to do has to respond to him, even the enemy. See, I didn't think you knew that the enemy actually has to respond to God he can't just run up on you and do what he wants if you read the book of Job he said that he went before God and what did he have to do he had to ask permission God is it okay master is it okay if I go touch your servant he said listen you can touch him but you can't touch him like this see God got the type of power that can keep you even when you didn't think you could be kept that's the type of God we're talking about right now 
He said, this, this type of might, this type of power is coming in the form of a child. The form of a baby. Who would have thought that all that power could be wrapped up in something so fragile? That all that wisdom could be wrapped in something so dependent. That, that it could be wrapped up in something that needs somebody else to care for it. And God said, I'm going to use the one thing you don't think I can use. He says, this baby is going to be called an everlasting father. A father that's always there. If you didn't grow up with a dad, then this, this should mean something to you. If your father ever left the house too soon, this should mean something to you. Even if you had a good dad and you saw all his flaws and failures, this should mean something to you. He said, this is the type of fatherhood that doesn't impose itself on children, but rather sacrifices itself for them. A fatherhood that endures forever. There will never come a day when you become a child of the living God where you can't say that he's your father. Where he's never present. He's never around. He's never engaged with you. He's always there. He said this, this child is going to bring the type of fatherhood that makes you feel like you can do anything. He's the everlasting father. And then I, I like this one. I like what he says. He says, he says not only that, but he's the, he's the prince of peace. He said, this, this, this child comes to, to bring peace. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, and he came and preached peace to those who, have, who were far off and those who were near. But not only does he come to bring peace, he also establishes the peace that he came to bring. Listen to what Isaiah says later in, in chapter 32. He says, the result of righteousness will be peace. The effects of righteousness will be quiet confidence forever. Now, 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 we spend all our time trying to figure out how to solve world peace. And so we say, if, if we could just feed everybody, we would have world peace. If, if we could just get rid of all the guns, we would have world peace. If we could just solve the, the issue of racial tension in this country, we would have world peace. But here Isaiah gives you the answer. Isaiah says that the effects, the results, the, the culmination, the climax of peace only comes when there is a justice and a righteousness perfectly displayed in a kingdom. And here, Isaiah is letting us know that God's system, God's laws, his decrees, his kingdom, how he runs things, how he leads, how he oversees is so perfectly dispensed with justice and righteousness that the only, the only tangible result that can come from it is peace. Imagine somebody that could come, his, his showing up brings peace. All he had to do was show up and peace came. He said, he said, he said, that's why I like what Paul says when he's talking about the dividing wall in Ephesians chapter two. At the end of that, he says, and Jesus, he is our peace. Because all he had to do was step down from heaven and wrap himself in flesh and his presence on earth brought peace with him. It's the type of peace that reconciles God with man. You don't get that type of peace if the child is not present. 
He said, you don't get the type of peace man with man if, it's not, if he's not present. He said, he's, he's so great in what he does and how he rules and how he reigns. His character is so pure. He's so perfect in his, in his justice that peace must be present when he's present. He's the, the prince of peace. Then the Bible says, it says, let me tell you a little bit about his dominion, if I can. It says his dominion will be vast. His, his dominion will be all over. There's not a place of creation once he returns that his dominion will not touch. Its prosperity will never end. Over his kingdom. He said he will reign on the throne of God forever and ever and ever. And imagine, imagine the perfection of this coming through a child. Not through an experienced warrior who's already conquered nations. Not a priest who perfected the sacrificial system. Not a king who ruled the best that he could. He says the perfection of God's kingdom the everlasting kingdom that will reign forever and he'll sit on the throne comes through the innocence of a child. I've, I, 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 I spent a lot of time over the last five years since my son was born watching DC and Marvel's Avengers, stuff like that. If y'all remember him when he was little, he was always in his Batman cape walking around here. And we used to watch Batman every day. There was not a day that we didn't watch Batman or Superman. And over the years, he's kind of converted into being a, just a strictly Marvel kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I realized as I used to watch DC with him when I remember back on it was uh, this character named Lois Lane. Y'all know Lois Lane. <laughs> Lois Lane would always get saved by Superman. But the funny thing about it was, she got captured every episode. I see that frustrated you too. But who gets captured every episode? Like every time? Like you just out here doing stuff to get captured every time? But what I found funny about that was every time she got captured, she would be talking so tough. Lois would be talking so reckless to whoever was like holding her captive at the time. And she would be talking tough, not because she trusted in her own strength. She would be talking tough, not because she trusted in her ability to save herself. But she always referenced somebody who was coming, but had not got there yet. And the reason that she could talk heavy was because she knew that no matter how late in the hour it got, he was always going to show up. Because he had a track record of always showing up on time. And so even though she was captured, even though death was imminent, even though it seemed like there was no way out, she would always talk heavy like, won't you just wait till he get here? You already know who's coming to save me. 
I don't know why y'all keep capturing me anyway, because you know he's just going to show up. All I'm trying to tell you this morning is that there's somebody on his way. And I know it seems dark right now. And I know it seems like there's no way out. I know you've been discouraged for a little while. And you've been waiting for God to show up at your door. I know you're hurting. And I know you're in pain. I know you're discouraged by the events and circumstances of your life. But somebody needs to look out into the darkness. And even though you don't see no sunlight in the distance, you need to talk heavy to your situation. You need to talk a little rough to your circumstance and say, I know where you got me right now, but you better be careful what you do to me because he's on the way. All you got to do is hold on just a little longer. All you got to do is hold on just a little longer. Not to your strength, not to your power, and not to your might. If you can just hold on just a little longer, just wait till it gets here. Father, we thank you for your saving power. We thank you for your saving grace, God. There is no trouble that we find ourselves in that is bigger than you. There is no difficulty that cannot respond to your call. There's no sickness that cannot leave when you say be gone. There's no bill that cannot be paid when you provide. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Sometimes the weariness God gets to us, the gloom in our spirits that we feel like won't leave anytime soon. Teach us, oh God, what it looks like to hold on, to wait on the one who always comes through the one in whose track record we can trust. His name is Wonderful Counselor. His name is Mighty God. His name is Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Help us to trust in you, Lord, until you get here, because you are coming, and you've already come. And so, Father, we say thank you for your promises and your word. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.